The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in February 2008. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we welcome a guest who made his Broadway debut in 1982 in Present Laughter, currently starring as the President of the United States in November. That's the name of the show, November. And in between, a Tony nomination and a Drama Desk Award for the Revival of Guys and Dolls, Drama Desk Award for Love, Valor, Compassion, Tony Award and Drama Desk Award for the Revival of a Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Tony Award and Drama Desk Award for playing Max Bialystok and the Producers, most recently, The Frogs, The Odd Couple, Butley, and now November. Nathan Lane, welcome to Downstage Center. Uh, thanks. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> nice to be here. Let's get out the steroids and, and, and start this interview. Okie doke. <laughs> uh, David Mamet has written a comedy about the President of the United States named Charles Smith. You are the President, and the entire show takes place in the Oval Office, and this is a man who faces a problem. He's trying to get reelected, doesn't have money, not very popular. Yeah. Is there a question the, in the there? The question is, Charles Smith in November. All of that is true. Um, yeah, it's a, he's written a kind of um, absurdist political cartoon in the form of a play. And um, you, there is some uh, uh, similarity to, to the uh, current president in that he's uh, incredibly unpopular uh, at the time of the, the play, and he's um, seeking re-election. And, um, and actually, in the beginning of the play, he's basically informed he's on the way out and it's over. And then it's, it's really about his struggle to <laughs> turn that around. And he sees uh, a, a, a small avenue in, in uh, the pardoning of the turkeys each year, and uh, he gets a, a small fee for doing that. And uh, somehow he decides he can... Um, uh, wangle more money out of the the Turkey people, and um, perhaps put that into his legacy, which primarily he's concerned with initially is his library. That he's not going to be getting a presidential library, and that really irks him. And uh, so um, it's it's a long build up, and then um, uh, he's uh, that doesn't quite work out, and and so through various means he continues to try to to. Uh, he, he's going to change the holiday of Thanksgiving to pork and then maybe to tuna. And then f finally, he's going to destroy the, the holiday altogether and blackmail the turkey people. And eventually they they give in. And um, But by then, his, his speechwriter, played by the brilliant uh, Laurie Metcalf, has, has convinced him that maybe... Um, Maybe there's 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 more to this than just um, his legacy. Maybe he could, uh, if he really spoke to the people, um, uh, turn things around. And and she kind of uh, reaches somewhere the the his what little idealism he has left, and uh, he decides there you know he really could win the election, and that which is where sort of the, the first act ends. This sounds a little different, certainly, than, say, Glengarry Glen Ross or American Buffalo. What were you expecting when you were told you were being sent to David Mamet's script, and what was your reaction once you read it? Um, well, Joe Mantello called me and uh, said he had just finished reading it and that it was uh, hilarious and that he, he heard my voice um, when reading this character and... Uh, 
we had um i had actually we had crossed paths uh david and myself uh he had asked me to um a couple of times before to do two other plays of his uh, also comedies uh, boston marriage um he wanted me to play a woman and uh which i didn't wind up doing and then um i was doing the frogs and at the same time he had sent me this play romance which is a a, a farce and um uh, but I, I i just it was a conflict of dates so i couldn't do that and i i thought well gee i'll you know he'll never ask me again uh but um it was really joe who thought of me and and uh once i read the play i um i fell in love with it i just i thought i i'd love to be the guy who says that for the first time on stage it was um it, it, i thought it was truly truly hilarious and and um and also had something to say I love the comment you just made about being the guy to say that for the first time on stage. Does does that really matter to an actor, really being the first? Um, very often, uh, uh, it's you know there are many reasons why you want to do something. Whether it's a, a you, you feel it's a particular challenge, or you feel it's the the people you want to work with, a director or actors, and then or an author, and and uh, in this case, certainly that was a, a huge part. But um, uh, sometimes it's a you'll come across a, a scene or a speech or, or something that uh, yes that stays with you and you say to yourself I I, I really I want to be the first one to do that um, yeah there there is a little bit of that that goes on in your head now the first time that you did read the script and you saw the character Charles Smith and the others that revolve around him whether on stage or on the telephone he gets a lot of phone calls yes he does what yes. was your impression of them versus reality in other words are these people plausible or is that part of the, the farce is that they're over the top uh, well you know i don't i i don't think you it's you think of it that way i mean it has to be you have to be playing it realistically i mean he's i mean the stakes uh are very high um uh and it's because essentially he's told it's over and then it's about him fighting his way back um and trying to to at first you know um um, take care of his legacy, which is terribly important to him, especially in terms of his wife, Kathy, who you only hear about. She makes a few calls. But, um, no, all of that has to be um, uh, has to be real. Uh, the, the situation and the and the sometimes the the dialogue is outrageous or absurd, but it has to be. Um, you have to play it realistically. I mean, when I'm talking on the phone, I'm I'm listening for what the other person is saying, and it's a, you know, phone calls are are are, are tricky uh, on stage and um, creating whoever that other person is, whether it's. Um, uh, uh, for example, the <laughs> the uh, the man I speak to who is head of the Pork Association. His name is Tink. I believe that's his nickname, Tink. And and for some reason, uh, as I've done the show, it's um, I find Tink rather amusing. He's I I just think he's the the funniest guy. <laughs> and uh, of course, we're discussing things about having people killed. Uh, and and also destroying the holiday of Thanksgiving, uh, taking it away from the turkey people and making it about pork. Um, but uh, it, that it has to be it has to be real. Otherwise, uh, you know, people you you have to be invested in it. And and I think the situation itself is outrageous. And then and that takes care of itself. I mean, he's a very 
uh, volatile character. I mean, he sort of holds on to his... He has a lot of anger and a lot of issues, and um, he's... Uh, I guess uh, people would say he's rather politically incorrect. But... Uh, and then, you know, some of these things build and build, and, and then he lets go. But, um, yeah, it, it certainly is you, you have to hold on to, the, to your, your reality. And the pacing is pretty rapid uh, between the, the dialogue but also the sound effects, the telephone, and, and the entrances and exits. Everything moves along. You're on stage basically every minute of the play. Is that pretty exhausting for you at the end of the night? Um, well, when it's, when it's going really well, it's exhilarating. And, and, and you know, and then don't let me forget to. I want to just say what a brilliant cast this is. It's uh, Laurie Metcalf, the incomparable Laurie Metcalf, and the brilliant Dylan Baker, and the wonderful uh, Ethan Phillips, and Michael Nichols. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, uh, even though I have a lot to say in the play, it feels very much an ensemble piece, and we're all very dependent on each other, especially Dylan and myself. Um, uh, so, uh, um, yeah, we're all in this together, and uh, uh, yes, I mean it certainly is. It is a fast-paced play, and uh, but that's part of the fun of it too. And Dylan's on stage pretty much the whole show. Also, he, he absolutely, plays, yeah. He, he plays the attorney to the president. Yes, my kind of my chief of staff. Right, yes, right, yeah. How much as the show got going did Frank not the pacing per se, but did it grow once you had that audience reaction? Because it's one of those rare things—a true Broadway comedy. People are laughing throughout. How did um, that affect the show? Well, you uh, obviously you're hoping that they'll be laughing. <laughs> um, it's always a surprise where the laughs come. Uh, you have an idea, and then it's always something you didn't expect that gets a huge laugh because they're the audience is following the story more than you think, <laughs> and story is always important. Um, so, uh, yeah, the happy uh, um, the happy part of it is that they they laughed from beginning to end, and uh, and then and then in the in the serious there are a, a couple of s- serious moments between myself and and the and Laurie, uh, my speechwriter, who I'm very dependent on. We have this love hate relationship. But he, she's very important to him, and uh, um, so there are there are a couple of moments that are, and there there it's it's moving what happens between the two of them uh, in the midst of all of the insanity. Um, I love that we can go from being, I mean, really outrageous stuff, and, and that and that goes as far as you can go, and then suddenly we can turn. And she says something, um, like for example, at a moment she says, we have a big argument, and she says, we, we named, she and her partner have, have a, they've uh, adopted a, a baby. And she said, we've named, we named our baby after you. And, and I love when the audience, you know, they're, they're touched by that, and, and as, as is my character. I mean, he's, that takes him... That gives him pause, and uh, and so it's it's wonderful to go back and forth between the two. And speaking of the pacing, does it vary from audience to audience, from performance to performance, depending on how they're receiving the material? Um, you know, it's uh, in a sense, no. I mean, um, 
it 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 varies. I mean, you know, some audiences are uh, from the get go are uh, laughing their heads off. Some some are they sort of they slowly have to be <laughs> led into the play, and they're a little more cautious. It, but uh, you know, you certainly you know you and this is a play where you don't want the audience to get ahead of you, and and. Um, you know, if they laugh, that's great. If not, I mean, I, I feel we feel confident enough with the material and with each other that it it doesn't. You know, it's it's nice when they laugh a lot, but they don't have to mm-hmm. because I, the, I I feel the the story works and we're um, you know we're we're just playing what the the situation and and. Uh, but I would say most of the time they do. They are laughing a lot. Yeah, I think like you know Wednesday matinees versus Saturday evening. Some audience. of those those are the best shows, the matinees. Uh, people they, uh, I love the matinees. Matinee the matinee people come. They, they want to be there. They haven't been dragged <laughs> by a spouse or 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 they're not there on a business trip or of some kind. It is they're there to see the play and they or, or the people in the play and they and they want to have a good time. Um, you know, very often uh, in, in of an evening, they're they're a little more judgmental, or you know, go ahead and show me, uh, prove to me how hilarious you are. But uh, the matinees are are always great, especially for this show. Well, let's go from the newest project to how you got into all of this. We're reading up uh, in preparation for this interview. Read that you did one sh- only one show in high school. You did one day of college. You didn't spend long at Stella Adler. How'd you get into this business? Uh, I, I did more than one show in high school. Ah, I, I have to say. Okay. Uh, um, so <laughs> I was misled. <laughs> so, um, and uh, what else did you say? Well, Your not, Honor, not a lot of college. Uh, uh, no, I didn't go to college. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but but so so how did you get into the business? Where did you started working? Where you were growing well, up in New I, Jersey? Well, really, it did start in school. I, I did I did a play in grammar school, and that that certainly I, I by because of that I was bitten by the bug, and then and then in high school I did I did a lot of plays oh, in okay. high school. <laughs> So there, so there, um, and uh, and um, and that uh, really led me to to feel uh, that maybe I could have a, a future in it in the in, in the profession, and uh, I you know I won't uh, bore you with this story of me um, not going to college, but I was I I, I did I had one as uh, a drama scholarship to um, St. Joseph's College in Philadelphia. And and essentially, um, I was worried. I, I I didn't have enough money, and and I had a lot of loans. And I decided, in the last minute, not to go. And my brother, my oldest brother, um, who was is is a is a teacher, and uh, he had said to me, "Well, you could always take a year off and and uh, get a job, make some money, and then go to college. There's no reason you have to go right now." And so I, I decided to do that. And I had I had done some shows with a. A little um, uh, non-equity company called the Halfpenny Playhouse in uh, East Orange, New Jersey. They had a they had a little they worked out of a little theater uh, in, at uh, Uppsala College, I think it was. Um, and so I had done a couple of shows for them. Uh, just uh, I was in the ensemble of a couple of musicals, and and um, and they were putting i had so when i didn't go to college i came back and i had gotten a job for and for a few months and then um 
they asked me to uh, do this review they had put together. Uh, it was uh, the bicentennial was uh, coming up, and um, it was a musical about the history of New Jersey called Jers. And uh, and we uh, and I so I went went off with them and we we toured all over New Jersey and went to schools and colleges and and did this little review. Your big number in that, <clears throat> the Statue of Liberty lives, lives in, in Jersey, Jersey City. City. <laughs> yes, that's that's correct. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Um, uh, so that was uh, the part of my beginnings. Uh, during those beginning years, at what point did you know in your heart that you wanted to be in the theater, that you wanted to be an actor? Was it during your school years? Was it after that? Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was definitely in school. And, and uh, no, once I, I was I was in it, I was, <laughs> I mean, I knew that's what I was going to pursue, especially when I decided not, not to go to college. Um, and then, um, uh, uh, so I worked with them, and I did a lot of, I just did a lot of non-equity summer stock and dinner theater, as, as well as this show, which sort of, you know, kept money coming in, and, and uh, but I would go off and do, do a lot of uh, different roles in, in uh, summer stock and dinner theater, and they also worked, uh, the Halfpenny also worked out of a, they had a, they worked out of a dinner theater, too, they had, they put on shows there, and, um, uh, so that was sort of my beginnings, and then and then uh, eventually I, I decided to um, to move to New York, and uh, that was in oh, I'm I'm not quite sure where it was late seventy seven or seventy or early seventy eight, and um, uh, and then I when I moved to New York I uh, you know was doing all sorts of odd jobs survival jobs and then. Um, I did. Uh, I finally got my equity card through, again through the Halfpenny Playhouse. <laughs> they, they did a musical about the metric system called One for Good Measure. When uh, we were going to maybe go metric for uh, about twenty minutes there, and somewhere there in the late seventies, and then we didn't. But the, but the, I got me an equity card, and then um, I. And then I, I stopped working altogether once I got to the union. And um, I, got, uh, uh, I worked at the Equity Library Theater. I did a production of Midsummer Night's Dream uh, at Equity Library Theater. And that led me to getting uh, an agent, a commercial agent, and a, and a legit agent. And that, that's, that's sort of how it started in New York. Did you move to New York with the idea of working in theater in, in Manhattan, in the city? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. So then how did you get into present laughter? That was like 1982. You'd been in the city oh, a few years. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, a lot had happened then <laughs> before that. Um, well, quickly, I, uh, I, 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 was, um, got, I had a commercial agent, so I started to do commercials, which really helped in terms of survival <laughs> and making money. Oh, I did, a lot of, I did a lot of commercials, I guess. And the most famous one was a, a NyQuil commercial that I did. But I did a ton of, of, of commercials, and, and that was really helpful. And then, um, and then I started to do stand-up comedy. I, uh, I had uh, um, <laughs> inadvertently, through doing, delivering singing telegrams, which was one of my odd survival jobs, I uh, in one case I wound up um, kind of d doing stand-up for them. <laughs> it was a little wedding, and I delivered a telegram, and then I started to talk, and there was an accordion player, and 
and and um, and, and they threw money at me at the end. So I uh, so I started to do a little stand up, and then eventually um, an actor I worked with, Patrick Stack, he and I had done a little review off off Broadway review together, and we had hit it off, and we were very funny together. At least people told us that, and so we eventually put an act together. We started doing clubs, we, and we got an agent. We went, you know, and a William Morris agent. We went to L.A., and we you know, did some television and opened for rock acts. And so for about a year or, or two or three, we were this comedy team, and, um, uh, which was a great learning experience. And, uh, you know, I, suddenly I became a writer and a director, and we had our little product that we took around. And, and then um, I auditioned for a, a, a sitcom that was shooting in New York with uh, Mickey Rooney and Dana Carvey called One of the Boys, and I got it. And so I came back to New York, and, and my partner, he he loved L.A., and he decided to stay out there. And, and uh, I mean, we never – it was always – we were always actors, and it was – being a comedy team was was not the ultimate goal. It was sort of just wanting to be seen, and, and it was a great way to, to sort of um, uh, to do that. And so um, – so I came back and I, I did the like thirteen episodes and then the show was canceled, and um, and by then I had left I left William Morris. I remember going to the uh, I had been up for Little Shop of Horrors, and it had come down to me and my my good friend Lee Wilkoff, and um, uh, Howard Ashman wanted me and Alan Menken wanted him and and they went with uh, Lee, and so I went to the head of the theater department at William Morris and I said, look. You know, this is really what I do. Is it's not you know necessarily television, um, but uh, um, and I remember her saying to me, "Why do you want to do theater?" And she was the head of the theater department. So <laughs> I so I left and I went with an agent named Jeff Hunter, and um, the first thing he sent me on was Present Laughter, uh, that George C. Scott was directing and starring in at Circle in the Square, and. Um, and uh, th- that was my Broadway debut. That's got to have been a formidable experience to not only be directed by, but on stage with George C. Scott. What what was that like? Uh, oh well, it was just thrilling. He, he was a, he was a brilliant actor, and he was very 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 kind to me. And um, uh, y- yes, I'll always remember him and be grateful to him uh, because of his generosity and. And taking a chance on me. I mean, I really had no big credits, and um, and and he gave me a, a a wonderful role, a Roland Roland Mall in Present Laughter, and um, and we just had the best time. It was a it was um, the Broadway debut for a lot of people. Kate for Burton, Kate Burton, Dana Ivey, Christine Lottie. Um, Kate met her husband, Michael Ritchie, who was the stage manager. It was uh, we've all remained uh, close. It's um, it was a great experience. The next Broadway show, perhaps not as uh, impressive in some books, uh, the late unlamented Merlin, Doug Henning and Cheetah Rivera. Right. What was that show like? Since uh, not a lot of us got to see it. Um. Well, it ran for ten months. I don't know why. Yeah, why you missed it? I was in school. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, well, for me, uh, as a, as a young man, it was uh, you know a big Broadway musical with Cheetah Rivera, and um, so and it was uh, uh, it was it seemed like an opportunity, and 
And it was, you know, just working with um, the great Cheetah Rivera. That was that was worth all the other stuff, all the craziness and the, you know, it was it was we were in previews forever, and and um, there were all sorts sorts of problems, and and they had never, uh, you know, sadly, you know, Doug Henning was a nice gentleman, but he he was not a, a musical comedy star, and because of the success of the Magic Show, I think they felt well maybe we in a more traditional book musical and and uh, so he was not he was not able to just play himself he was um he was supposed to be playing young merlin and it was also and he but he couldn't do an english accent so i i, I just remember with it seemed to be taking place somewhere in ottawa um and uh, cheetah played uh, she was she had no name she was just the evil queen and i was the son of the evil queen and um, I was the comic relief, and <clears throat> but we had—I mean, Cheetah and I had a great time together. It was just, you know, just to—and uh, that's really the only time we've worked together. So I'm—I'm I'm grateful for that. But it was, um, no, it was a terrible show. It was just the show didn't work at all. Uh, you know, but it was certainly a, a huge spectacle. I mean, it was Robin Wagner, uh, Theoni Aldridge, and uh, Theron Musser, the same team who brought you a chorus line. It was this, um, you know, and this gorgeous, you know, there was these huge sets, and it was it was a very expensive, I think, for the time. And the notion that it was kind of a, this um, sort of fairy tale, and uh, but it, it just didn't work at all. And your character was Prince Fergus. Was he involved in any of the magic tricks, or was he just, as you say, the comic relief? No, I was just, <laughs> thankfully... You, you, you didn't have to learn magic. No, although they made you sign a magic clause uh, that yeah, you wouldn't uh, reveal how tricks were done. Uh, of course, to decrease, I tell you anything. What? Is there a statute of limitations oh, uh, on that? Yeah. Oh, stop. <laughs> should we know? Stop. <laughs> Howard, you just stepped on my joke. Oh. Anyway, um, uh, it was, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't have to do any magic um, other than try to make some of the jokes work. So, uh, but it was, for me, look, it was, uh, it was I, I sort of, even though I knew it wasn't working, uh, I, I had a blast working with Cheetah, and uh, it was a really nice group of people. And there was a great quote that I read from you saying that Doug yeah. Henning's greatest trick was making the audience disappear. Did I say that? There are many <laughs> things attributed to me that I've never said, but okay. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll take credit for that. Okay. <laughs> I was struck as and looking at all the work you've done and, and all of the amazing people you've worked with that uh, following Merlin, you were in a production of She Stoops to Conquer, which certainly had one of the most interesting casts I've ever heard of, E.G. Marshall, Kay Ballard, and Tova Feldshu. Yeah. <laughs> what was that production like? Uh, it was... Uh, I uh, Well, I had a great time doing it. I loved working with Kay. Um, and, and Tova was great. And uh, it was there was one of those times when the, the roundabout, were, they were between theaters, and we were working at, I think, Pace University at a, a theater there. And, um, uh, you know, what was nice about it was um, it was the I believe it was the first time Jerry Zachs saw me in that. And uh, I remember him telling me later, you know, him he thought it was uh, you know, very funny. And I loved it. I loved that play. I loved, you know, it's yes, it was an eclectic group, though. <laughs> well, moving ahead a couple of years, a show that was quite the opposite of Merlin was a big, big success was the revival of Guys and Dolls, where you played Nathan Detroit. Yes. How did that come about for you? How did you become Nathan Detroit? And there's a, a tie-in to your name with Nathan Detroit, of course. Yes, yes. Um, uh, an audition, I just, uh, I had, 
I had auditioned for Jerry many times, but he wouldn't give me a job. And then, um, <laughs> and then we, oh, it was after I had done a play called The Lisbon Traviata, a uh, Terrence McNally play, and, and I had a, a, a success with that. And, and, um, and so in that moment, in that moment of, of momentary success, um, he invited me to be a part of a, a workshop uh, that was the first workshop of assassins, and uh, so that was the first time we had worked together, and we had a great time. And then, so I, when I, uh, um, I auditioned, uh, and um, and then a long period went by, and he, I think they were uh, obviously they were trying to pair people, uh, the two couples, you know, and depending on age and so forth, and so he. It took it took a long time, and then he and then uh, thankfully he uh, said, I, "I I want you to do this," and I was uh, you know thrilled out of my head. <laughs> of course, you were paired with Faith Prince, who played yes. Miss Adelaide, yeah. so it was a very good pairing there. The two of you. Oh, it was great! It was great. She and I had worked together on a <laughs> a, a sort of dodgy revival of Bad Habits, uh, 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 another Terrence McNally play at at, um, at Manhattan Theater Club, and. Um, and it was it had not been it hadn't gone so well, and uh, although I loved her, I mean she was hilarious and wonderful, and and uh, and she had just had this success. Even though Nick and Nora hadn't gone so well, she was rather she was sort of singled out as being you know one of the high points, and uh, and she had had a great success with Jerome Robbins Broadway, and so um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a wonderful pairing. I mean, we it's just one of those things you never you never know what's going to happen, but um, in terms of chemistry, and it was just uh, magical with her. So, when you're going through the process of auditioning for the job, do they pair you with the the actress that's going to be playing opposite? Or, no, or several different. No, I never. Uh, uh, no, so we. You have to read with them. They just <clears throat> cast the two of you individually and said, "We know they're going to work well together." Uh, yeah, I think he just felt we uh-huh. would, and and uh, no, I I had just gone in that one time, and and then and then um, months later, <laughs> he said, You're, "It's you and Faith." So I said, "Well, that's fantastic," mm. and it was. Before Guys and Dolls, you had begun. You mentioned already the relationship with Terrence McNally and his plays. I mean, mm. it's quite remarkable. I make at least five different plays of his that you've been in, right. and it's so unusual to see an actor in this day and age have the opportunity to continue in the in the work of a of a single playwright. How did that come about, and how did it evolve? Uh, uh, well, I've often told this story, but I was doing a play at another play at Manhattan Theatre Club. I've done a lot of plays at Manhattan Theatre Club. Uh, this one was called Claptrap, and it was a farce, and it was not going very well. And uh, I remember at one point, uh, Lynn Meadow had come in, and we were in the middle of this sort of re- note session and rehearsal, and she uh, said um, she thought uh, um, the lights were too bright, she said at one point, that the lights were too bright on stage. And I said, yes, that's the problem. <laughs> they can see the play. <laughs> <clears throat> So I said, uh, you know what? I'm going out for some air. And so I went out to the lobby, and um, Terrence had a play on next door. He was star- They were starting uh, Frankie and Johnny in the Claire de Lune. And he, and he came up to me, and he said, uh, hi, I'm Terrence McNally. And he said, uh, you know, I saw you in the show. And, and he had seen me in Present Laughter, and he just said, uh, oh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan. And he was, he was incredibly gracious and, and uh, said, I hope we can work together someday. And I thought, mm, how about now? And um, 
And then they were casting um, the the Lisbon Traviata, um, uh, and uh, uh, I had worked with John Tellinger in a. We I had done Robbie Bates's first play in New York, um, uh, the Film Society, and um, he was the one who uh, thought of me for Lisbon, even though it was supposed to be an older man, a man in, around, around the age I am now. Um, and uh, uh, and so everyone was, well, he's far too young, but let's. But they weren't happy with anyone they were seeing. And I, I went in, and, and it, literally that was, uh, I uh, remember reading that play, and even though I knew nothing about opera, I just, I was, I just thought it was hilarious and brilliant and theatrical and... Um, and uh, I thought, oh, I I get this guy, <laughs> I get well, I got the character, but I also Terence's writing. I there was just an instant um, affinity, and a um, it, it was just uh, it like it was like it had been written for me, and so um, I I just it was just one of those times I went in and read, and then they called that evening and said we we want you to do this, and it really that's a, the play that truly changed my my life in a way the later plays with McNally did he start writing them for you uh no <laughs> he's only the only play he ever truly <clears throat> wrote with for me with me in mind was right it was right after Lisbon Traviata we we did a play called Lips Together Teeth Apart and um which was um uh, he wanted to write a play i mean he was at a point in his life where it was a real um turnaround for him uh, his relationship with john tillinger which uh, began with uh, um it's only a play which had been the reworking of what had originally been called broadway broadway which had closed out of town and gotten terrible reviews and he rewrote it it became it's only a play and became a big success and then they did the lisbon traviata together and uh, so he and he had lost people in his life like Jimmy Coco and um uh and so i think you remember him saying to me you know i like knowing i'm going to write for someone or that there's there are certain actors and and uh and he said you've sort of uh come into my life at the right time and it was it was very moving and i was you know, obviously it's incredibly flattering and but um uh in that case it was a, that's the only time he really did write um a part for me it was sort of loosely based on he ran into one of my brothers at a at an opening and I, I, I think he was <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, there was something about him and i remember him later saying i'm going to write a character that you're going to get in touch with your new, Jer- new jersey roots and um, and it became this uh, fella, this character in, in Lips Together, who the, the, who ran a construction company, and um, a wonderful character, Sam, Sam Truman. Um, so uh, that one he did write for me. Uh, I love Valor Compassion. He actually didn't. I remember, you know, that was sort of accidental. Uh, but again, it was you know, look. He he writes great great characters. So. Um, uh, yeah, but that was that that was that was the only one. So there were, there were roughly half a dozen or so McNally plays you've been in. Most of them yes. in Manhattan Theater Club. Did yeah. you then have to audition for each of those? No, darling. No. Okay. <laughs> the parts, well, I'm thinking if, if, if the character well, wasn't wasn't well, written for you, you know, <laughs> what do you have to do? <laughs> um, no, at that point, no, I didn't have to audition <laughs> for, for for Terrence <laughs> McNally. Um, yeah, we had, had, a, had a relationship had been established. Uh-huh. So, 
Well, you've already mentioned the relationship with Jerry Zachs, who saw you early on, but yeah. finally began to cast you. And then he, he cast you a lot. We've mentioned Guys and Dolls, and, and following that, Laughter on the 23rd Floor. Yes. Playing, essentially, Sid Caesar. Were you playing Sid Caesar, or were you playing the character that Neil Simon well, it wrote? A, it or? was a character inspired by, by Sid, definitely. Um, again, it was another one of those times where I... Um, I, we had we had done uh, oh I don't know where we are now in chronology uh, but um, we had done I believe we had done um, did that come did that come between yes it came between uh, guys and dolls and forum yeah and we had, uh, guys and dolls he came to me one day Jerry and said Neil Simon has written this play and I think it's hilarious um, he said I don't know if it's a play yet but it's it it, make, it certainly makes you laugh and so he. Gave it to me, and he wanted me to play one of the comedy writers. Um, the the uh, it was actually the character that Louis Stadlin wound up playing. I said, "Great! I would just I'll play anything. I'd be just be thrilled to be a part of it to to originate a, a, something in a Neil Simon play." And then um, I was doing a movie, and he called me and said, um, "We're going to do a, we, we're gonna, we were going to do a reading of the play." And he said, "But for the just for the purposes of the reading, I'd like you to play the the um, Sid Caesar character because uh, you I just need someone to you'll you'll make it work and somehow." And he said, "We really want a big guy, you know, six feet three and you know two hundred two twenty five, you know, huge man to play it." But he said, "Just for the reading." So I said, "Oh, okay," and. Um, uh, and it, it imposed an interesting challenge just because uh, uh, the other character was uh, was a, an easier fit in a sense because he was he was always joking and he was um, uh, sort of a very borscht belt kind of comic and I uh, I understood that but and this and and the character of Max Prince was this um, obviously tor- tortured soul who was using a lot of prescription medication, a lot of drinking, and was um, kind of inarticulate, but also hilariously funny in his own way and in a, in a different way than a lot of the, the other characters uh, who used language. And so um, we, did the, we did this reading of it and... Uh, um, I don't know. I somehow got in touch with the with the Sid Caesar in my soul, and and then at the end of it, they said, "Well, now we can't imagine anyone else doing it." And I, so I found myself uh, now playing, you know, the lead. I've always been curious about that character because Sid Caesar, in different ways, has been portrayed in so many fictional works. He's King Kaiser in My Favorite right, Year. Right, he's, right. he's Alan Brady in the old Dick right. Van Dyke show. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering if, if Neil <clears throat> talked to you about what those experiences were and whether any of that came into play and what you what you did in that show. Um, well, he was, uh, you know, the, he was someone who was, uh, Sid was angry. He was very angry, but it was it was partly what um, fueled uh, the comedy, and it's partly what screwed him up in his in his personal life, and what drove him to I think drinking and and taking um, pills. And but um, 
but what they loved about Sid was his uh, he was in the room every day with them he was he was in the trenches working and he would sort of sit in a big chair and they would throw out ideas and he would uh, go oh, you know he would <laughs> signal if it was positive or ne- negative he would shoot he would literally shoot make sounds of a machine gun <laughs> and shoot them down if he didn't like them um but they adored him because he would do he would try anything you know he had worked for, neil had worked for jackie gleason who he hated working for because he would literally get a script sent back to him sketches and you know it would be slipped under the door with just a lot of red marks written through them and um and but sid was there and would play with them and try anything they wanted and and you know they were doing for the time you know sophisticated things parodies of foreign films and <clears throat> so uh, it was a, it was a really golden memory for him. I mean, that was uh, working with all those, being in the room with all those incredible comic minds, and then at the center of it was this this, this genius, uh, this, this troubled genius. But um, uh, uh, it was a yeah, it was a. I think uh, he. It was something that uh, he was very moved by the, the the going back to that time and remembering. It was, and and I remember Sid coming to see the show and how, um, and I acknowledged him at the end of the, at the opening night and and uh, seeing Neil around him, he was like a, a like it was like a kid again. You know, he was he would just giggle at everything Sid said, and he was um, and he was very, I think Sid was very touched by the the play. Mm-hmm. Well, following that, your next Broadway uh, show was Love, Valor, Compassion, which you first had done off-Broadway, then in 95, did right. on-Broadway. Who was Buzz Hauser, your character? What, 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 was, what was he well, like? Well, that, that's another... It's like, the, it's like laughter on the 23rd floor. Um, I had initially done a reading for Terrence where I played uh, the two twins, John and James. And he had written, he said to me, uh, uh, he had written this part of Buzz for somebody else. And and I was just, I wasn't going to be a part of it. I was just helping out and doing a reading. And then, and then there was a, and then, I don't know, time went by and there was a reading I, uh, that Jerry Zachs for a moment was going to direct it. And he put together a reading and I went to see the reading and I was sitting in the audience and we're waiting like 20 minutes and there's like 100 people there waiting for this reading and then they count Jerry and Terrence come up and they say, the guy who's playing the part is, he's in traffic. So he said, um, would you read it? And I said, well, uh, okay. Um, he said, we can't keep these people waiting anymore. So <clears throat> I sat down and we read the play. And um, and I, you know, I was killing. <laughs> it was, you know, it's a great part. And I was, you know, they were laughing and laughing. We, we had a blast. So... Um, so then, uh, but Jerry was sort of on the fence about doing the play, and I said, well, uh, what if I said I would do the play? Would you feel better? And he said, yes. And then, then he still didn't do the play, but I was committed to it. And, um, and then they found Joe Mantello, that, and, uh, and that was just that was what the doctor ordered. It was, he was the right guy, and it was the right play, and, um, and so, uh, and, and laughter on the 23rd floor uh, closed earlier than expected and I was and then that's how it all worked out and I got to play that wonderful character 
a funny thing happened the way to the forum. Yes. It was one of several cases, it seems. Oh, where God, you got I'm a, old. Where you, I'm so old. Well, it seems that you got a chance. <clears throat> shows that you had done, you were talking about your non-equity experience. Some of these shows yeah. that you had done right. early on. Oh, you sure. Had, you had played I had played Pseudolist And I had played Hysterium, too. Yeah. So going into it. In, in a new production, obviously, with a number of people you'd worked with before. Of course, Jerry Zachs. You, right. You mentioned Louis Stadlin, who you seem to have worked with a number of times. Oh, yes. So, the so great Louis Stadlin. Coming into that show, what was the experience of creating Funny Thing Happened on the Forum anew for another generation? That was one where they, uh, I remember Louis said uh, he was originally going to play uh, um, Lycus. And then he kept saying, oh, I don't know, I like his, his you know. And then he wanted to play the other part, <laughs> the other, you know, the old guy, um, Senex. And so uh, so I said to Jerry, well, you know, maybe um, maybe if Louis played Senex, then then, then um, Ernie Sabella could play Lycus. So it was, it was really like old home week. And, uh, um, you know, it was just, we just had a, it's a, it's a look, it's a great, piece of material you know it's like guys and dolls you know you can only screw it up it's a uh, wonderful material and by brilliant writers and um you know it was a, it was like a dream to uh, to get to do that i had seen i had gone to see when i was in high school i had gone to see phil silvers the revival with phil silvers which was i which i loved um and I was, it was a, they were not doing, they did not do good business, even though he had won a Tony, Larry Blyden. I thought it was a wonderful production myself, but people weren't going. And they, they did this as a publicity stunt. They'd never do this today. They had a free 4th of July matinee. Mm. And I stood on line in the blazing sun, and I was the last person let into the theater. And then they, they closed the doors because it was a huge line that went blocks. And I stood in the back of that theater and I watched Phil Silvers. And, you know, watched him, you know, he was, he, he, you know, it was written for, with him in mind. And then he he didn't want to do it. <laughs> Thought, I've been doing this for years. You know, and then they, and then was Milton Berle. And then finally they wound up with the grade zero. But, um, <clears throat> but to see him do it was extraordinary. And uh, especially because the audience was so great. And uh, he... You know, I just remember the ovation when he came on was so enormous and went on for so long. And he did the very sort of vaudevillian thing of he, like, looked at him. <laughs> though he didn't have a watch, he pretend, he sort of looked at his watch like it was going on too long. And, um, you know, sort of ad-libbing a little bit with um, uh, during with the courtesans and, and uh, the young man playing hero came in with a line. And he said... Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I'm I'm working here, and then he, you know he continued to do this thing with the girls' tassels, and um, it was just it was just heaven. It was just perfect, and uh, so to many years later to be playing that part and and, and a new production was uh, uh, thrilling beyond belief. Well, you mentioned Phil Silvers, who starred in Do Re Mi in the early 60s. And I guess it was the mid-90s here in New York, in New York City Center, part of the Encore series. You were cast in Do Re Mi. Yes. What kind of an experience was that for you, doing the show that Silvers had done? I love that. I love that show so much. I loved working with um, Randy Graff. And, and really... This is how old I am. This is, you know, Heather Headley. It was she was making her. People were just discovering her, and she was in it. And Brian Stokes Mitchell, and and um, we had we had a tremendous time. It's a it's such a it's a fun score, and um, 
and it was it was uh, and some and really the, that the recording of that is one of my favorites that I've ever done, um, especially the the sort of that that um, kind of specialty number, the the late late show, which he it's like he's doing his club act. He does impressions, and um, it's it's it was it was just uh, wonderful. What was the encore's experience like? You're basically involved for two weeks, uh, about ten or eleven days of rehearsal. Yeah, then five well, this was sort of going back to the uh, you know the roots of it where you took a show that you know was not that successful but written by great great writers and and um uh um and and it was interesting to take another look at it and you know the book maybe it was so it was always referred to as a kind of poor man's guys and dolls but it was um but it was a real vehicle for obviously for Phil Silvers and Nancy Walker who had uh, I I believe did he win a Tony for that I think so yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and I think it had a, certainly had a run because of them, um, but it was not considered a, one of the great classic shows. But it, it certainly it's because I mean the premise of the whole thing about the jukebox industry. And, <laughs> but it, there's some great numbers in it. It's it's, a, it's legitimate. It's it's really a, a lot of fun. And and Paul Gemignani, you know, conducted and musical directed, and he's you know the best. So well, one show that will be a classic, yeah. with, with the passage of time, will be the producers. And you oh, was Max Bialystok. You think so? <laughs> I think it already is, but oh. with, with the passage of time, oh, it certainly with the will passage be. <laughs> of time, <laughs> as we all time angel. heals everything. Eh? <laughs> I've heard that song somewhere. Uh, Max Bialystok. <laughs> yeah. Now here you are coming into a role that people knew through the movie, the 1968 movie, right. the Mel Brooks movie. Yes. Now you're putting the show on stage. How did you see Max as as a person, as, as a character? Well, you you can only see Zero Mostel. I mean, he. Did, did you see Zero Mostel, or did you see the character Max? Well, the character is Zero. I uh-huh. mean, it's kind of it, he wrote it for Zero. I mean, he I don't think he would have made the movie without Zero. Um, so they're kind of uh, you can't take one away from the other. There's there's a part of it. It is it is Zero in a sense. I mean, that when you visualize it, or but um, and I, I you know I can remember falling in love with the movie as a kid, and and uh, I remember seeing it. I saw it in a revival house in L.A. and people laughing their heads off and so the notion that you know, cause again it was Jerry Zachs came back into my life who said um, you know he was uh, momentarily he was uh, sort of going to maybe do it and he was working with Mel and they he would tell me he was the one who first mentioned that it was actually happening and he was thinking about doing a, a musical of it and uh, and that he would come in and sing songs to him and so, I can remember Jerry turning to me and going we can do it. We, you know, when I go, okay, and um, you'll let me know how that turns out. And then, um, <clears throat> and then, uh, and then time passed. Jer- Jerry was no longer involved, and it was uh, Mike Ockrent and Susan Stroman, and, and um, I ran into Mel in Paris. <laughs> I won't go into the whole story, but we, we ran into each other, and he um, said, uh, you know, he that. Um, he felt I was the person to play this part, and so I was. I was, you know. Um, I, I thought, well, that would be great. I'd be thrilled and honored. So, um, and then more time passed, and and finally um, they did a um, a reading of it, and it, it just people went crazy. Whenever we did it, people went crazy. They just <laughs> they just loved it, and. Um, it's just one of those times when it was a boy it was the right show at the right time, and uh, where 
there was an anticipation about it. The people would talk to me about it and say, oh, how's it going? And what is going? You know, they, and they were, everyone seemed very happy with the notion that it was me and Matthew. And it was just, um, because I, you know, the movie is so beloved and, and, uh, you, you didn't want to screw it up, but certainly it was the to do it with Mel there and uh, and and with the Mel Brooks score. It just it all made sense and um, uh, uh, yeah, from the from the get go in Chicago, it was like you know the first preview. I thought I said to Matthew, "Well, that's like the real diehard producers, the you know, the cult movie fans, and they they were all here, and although there was a huge theater, you know, we were in this Cadillac Palace, which is like 2,200 seats, um, enormous, so it was, and it was packed, and then, and then I said, it'll never be like that again, and then the next what, night it was, and then the next night, and then it was, it was an unbelievable phenomenon. Having been at your third preview out in Chicago, it really was extraordinary how quickly the show came together. But you ended up spending a lot of time in that show. You did a long run initially right. on Broadway. You came back to it, and then you even ended up in it in London. Yeah. What was playing a role that long at different periods? What was it like to keep coming back to that show? Um, well, the first the first year, <laughs> do you really want to hear? The first year... Obviously, it was the thrill of everyone in show business should have a success like that. It's just, it's just, there's nothing like it. You know, it's just where the where people are, they're laughing in the lobby and they just can't. They're so happy to be there, and that's it's a glorious thing, and you should enjoy it because it comes along so rarely. Um, the one of the problems uh, for me was physically. I, you know, in the during the first run, I had all sorts of problems. I had. I I sprained my ankle. I had uh, my back went out. <clears throat> Vocally, I started. Uh, I had a I had a nodule, but the, which really wasn't the the real problem. It was it was just it was like my muscles had given out. It was like you had over exercised, and after years of wear and tear, I just sort of had this breakdown, and it wasn't working the way. Uh, it had in the past, and I was. It was very obviously upsetting, and also you're in the middle of this, the run of this of the show of your life, and if you're not there, people want to kill you. So it was <laughs> that was disturbing, but um, uh, but still, I, I mean, I got through it. I got through the first year, and then it took about a year and a half, not only for the nodule to go away, but to you know working with um, people like Joan Later, and now I, I've been working with a woman, Katie Agresta, who's been tremendously helpful in sort of rebuilding things and vocally but um it was a very that was a difficult period as as thrilling as the whole experience was and and i was so grateful to be a part of it um and then it was just fun when we went back uh, we went back for like three months uh, like a year or two later and and uh, on new year's eve and it was and we just had a blast and we it was so much fun and uh and then the the run in london was <clears throat> literally that was an accident i mean again another <laughs> last minute um we had finished the frogs at lincoln center and uh and i um uh literally went uh, walked into my house in long island and um there was a message from susan uh, stroman saying could you give me a call and i knew <laughs> I had a feeling. And then she said, uh, you know, it's uh, Richard Dreyfus is having some problems and physical problems, and I don't th- think it's going to work out, and could you come? And literally this was like a, this is like the 
if this was like a Thursday, the following Friday they were going to start previews. And, and um, I said, Susan, I'm so exhausted. And from the, the frogs, that wasn't easy. I said, I'm, I'm just physically exhausted, and, and I also want to be rested for the film. We were going to make the film. Um, anyway, uh, uh, I, I said, let me think about it. And then I called back the next day and said, I, I don't think I can do it. And then she cried and I said, okay, I'll come. And, uh, so I got on a plane and then I, the next thing I knew it was, it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday and I was on stage at the Ro- Theater Royal Drury Lane in a hat and a cape with a lot of British people trying to do American accents. And they all sounded Irish. Um, and they, but they were adorable. It was a great company. And my friend Lee Evans was playing. Leo and um, and so we had done a film together and I just uh, adore him and he was another reason I wanted to go was because you know it was a big thing he was doing a musical he's a huge star in 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 London and so anyway it was um, it turned out to be one of the best times ever um, Mel was there Mel and Anne were there and it was and you know we it was and they they used to, they said to me before we started they would say you know they're British people they may not they be they may be very reserved and not they won't maybe re, they won't react the same way they did in New York and I said okay great and um and then literally the first night they went I, they were tearing the seats out of the they were they were on their feet and they said they won't give you a standing ovation and they did and they went nuts and. Um, we were just i it was um it was thrilling and then and then you know i was there for about two and a half months and then of course then my whole body <laughs> gave out my my I had to have knee surgery my back went out i was just so i had to leave a couple of weeks early which i i felt badly about but it was um it was a it was a great time and it was a really wonderful production in london well you mentioned the frogs presented by Lincoln yes. Center Theater with Susan Stroman again directing. And you not only were the star of the show as Dionysus, you were also in effect one of the co-writers. You, you yes. very loosely readapted the script. Yes. How how did that come about for you? Not only getting cast as the actor, but also basically reworking the, um, whole, the whole book. Uh, 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 I, years and years before when I was a kid, when I just got into New York, remember back then when we talked about that? Um, I well, you go to the drama bookstore all the time and and browse and and uh, I used to I would see I saw this uh, copy of um, of the frogs you know and I thought which was originally by Astro- Aristophanes yeah, yes yeah he had something yeah. to do with it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah original uh, writer Aristophanes and then it was adapted by Bert Shevelov, who had co-written uh, Forum and 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 then Sondheim had written these choral numbers you know and I so I was very intrigued because I loved Forum and and uh, I thought oh, oh this is interesting. Interesting and and it was not what I expected and and I had it and I had that copy of that for years and I would write little things in the margin about what I thought about how it should be done or maybe oh no maybe there's a better joke and um, and I had this thing for years and then uh, there was a I guess it was seventieth birthday celebration for Steve at uh, the Library of Congress and we went and we did a uh, we did a um, a concert version of the frogs, and then we did songs that he wished he had written. Songs uh, he was glad he had written, and uh, and I kind of hosted that part of it, and and we and I did Dionysus, and and so um, when we, we there was a recording of it, and when I, I remember listening to the recording and just thinking, well, there's something about this that resonates for today, and I wonder if we could do 
to do this because they only did it for a short time in in um, at Yale. That that's the famous it was production. A handful of performances. Yeah, at the in the pool at, at Payne Whitney yeah. Gymnasium. <clears throat> yeah, and it was mainly because Bert Chevalov wanted to work with the uh, swim team. So, you know, I thought one wouldn't it be interesting to see if the, to take this piece and see if um, maybe he would be interested in maybe more f- fully musicalizing it and what what we could do. And, uh, and so I brought the idea to Susan, and really I just wanted to. I really just wanted to work on the book. I was just intrigued by that. That would have been enough. But saying that I would play the Dionysus was sort of um, that helped get it done too. So um, yeah, I wound up doing both duties, which was a lot and and probably too much. But it was. But I was I was I loved doing it. And and how often can you say I got, I got to write a musical with Steve Sondheim? <laughs> There's very only a handful of people who can say that. So I was, um, it was, it was thrilling. As our time draws to a close, I do want to ask about Butley because in many interviews you talked about having seen it as a teenager, right? And then you ultimately got to play the role. And I'm just wondering what the effect was originally, and and then getting to do it. It was, uh, it was very emotional. Um, it was because it had a lot to do with uh, not only just uh, having seen Alan do it and when I was a kid and being affected by the play and and the character and his, certainly his performance but then my friendship with Simon Gray which grew out of a uh, this uh, we did a play together of his called The Common Pursuit I, I did it here and I did it everywhere I did it in New Haven I did it in LA and then I did it off Broadway and that's how we became friends and we always he was the one who sort of suggested that I I should do the part someday and and so, um, and then for some reason it didn't work out. We were going to do it at one point, and then it didn't happen. And then uh, eventually, I did it at the at my my friend Nikki Martin was at the time was running the Huntington Theater in Boston, and we did it there, and and uh, it went very well. And and then there were just but there were other things I had to do, and then we finally brought it into New York, and. Um, and I, you know, I was very grateful. I, you know, uh, um, look, it's it's a it's a, it's a very it's a difficult play and uh, a challenging play for an audience as well as for the for the actors. But um, I'm I was very happy that we got to do it, and then I, um, you know, I think for some people who only associate me with um, things like the producers, uh, either they were in shock. Or, or or just surprised that I had a British accent for some reason, even though I made my debut with a British accent. But um, for me, it was uh, it was really a wonderful challenge and a, and a thrill to do it in New York. And uh, I love the material. I love that it's you know it's a it's a it's a you know it's a it's a painful play. It's it's about someone who's you know so incredibly self destructive and he drives everyone away and and. Uh, and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm very happy I, I got to do it, and grateful to the um, uh, Liz McCann who produced it, and and uh, and to Nikki, and and uh, and for me and Simon, it was uh, who while he was here, he turned um, he turned seventy, actually, and so it was, and he was, he, we were saying, you know, when he met me, he was the age I am now, and. <clears throat> So it was. It was just a, uh, an incredible um, bookend to our our um, working relationship and friendship. And that kind of brings us full circle back to the present, where you were playing a very interesting character, the President of the United States, in the show yeah. November at the <laughs> Ethel Barrymore Theater, eight times a week, playing the President. That's 
quite interesting. So, Nathan, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Oh, thank you so much. A pleasure. Thanks, Nathan. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening.